Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Still no score. Edmonton Oil Kings, Saskatoon Blades about five and a half minutes into the second period. NHL, Oilers fans, you'll like this score late in the second period. Carolina leading Arizona 2-zip. Also in the second, Senators and Red Wings tied 2-2. Penguins and Colorado about to get underway. Oilers and Flames tomorrow, 6.30 face-off show on 6.30 Ched. Game at 8. Oilers had an optional practice this afternoon. Head coach Dave Tippett did not name a starting goaltender. Dean texting in. He says, Reed, I bleed orange and blue, but I have to give respect where due, given Theo Fleury's size, playing in a much more, quote, physical era, unquote, I believe we can learn a lot. Uh, or as he says, I believe a lot can be learned by any player in the league today. A strong, tough will to adapt, contribute, and an attitude that won't be denied goes a long way. Tip my hat to Theo. That is from Dean. And uh, Harry says, Reed, what do you think about the Oilers trading for Alex Galchenyuk? Put him on the second line with Dreisaitl and Yamamoto. Move Nugent Hopkins to the third line, creating the much-needed center for the third line. Then you could consider calling up Tyler Benson and put him on that line. Galchenyuk's release is amazing. Reminds me of James Neal 2.0, where his his talents are not being used like Neal's were in uh, Calgary. You know, Alex Galchenyuk is on his third team at the age of 25. He played mostly for Montreal. They shipped him to Arizona. They shipped him out after a year. He has scored uh, 20 goals, 30 goals, 17, 19, 19 the last few years. He is at four goals this year in 34 games for the Penguins. He definitely has some talent, but I wonder if he is the opposite of the type of player that Theo Fleury was describing and that uh, Dean was applauding in his tweet. That would be my concern about Galchenyuk. Are you going to get the commitment and the detail and the checking that you need to be successful? I don't know if he would be, you know, if Ken Holland does go shopping here. I don't know if Galchenyuk would be high up on his list. You know, 25, he's not old. He turns 26 in a month. Um I don't know. I think that would be a bit of a risk, and, and I think you'd worry that maybe there's a bit of a drop-off there from that player. We shall see as the Oilers move along. All right. Hey, big week in the city. It starts today, goes until the 19th. It is quick card Edmonton Minor Hockey Week, always a highlight on the sporting calendar. And one gentleman who is taking part as a head coach, I'm pleased to say he is my co-worker, co-host of 630 Ched Mornings. It is Shay Ganim. Shay, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Doing really good, Reed. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Now, what team are you coaching, Shay? I'm coaching Sierra 497. It's a midget team. And how long have you been a coach, by the way? Oh, geez. You know, I, I started coaching as soon as I stopped playing. As soon as I aged out of midget, I coached for four or five years before I moved away to start the whole career thing. But I've been then when I had my son. So I've been coaching for, I'm going to say... 11 years in a row, and altogether probably 15 years of coaching totally. Oh, wow. But you, but you haven't always coached your, your son then. You've, you just no. like coaching in general. 
Yeah, I love it. It's absolutely the highlight of my winter each and every year. I look forward to it. I mean, it, it, you know, it's minus whatever out there. It's really, you got to have something fun to do. And I just absolutely love going to the rink with the guys. See, this is great because you and I, I mean, we, we didn't really get to know each other uh, when I was here and you were over at Global, yeah. and, our, and our hours don't exactly allow for no. us to have any <laughs> office chit-chat, so I'm actually getting to know you as we do this. Now, were you a high-level hockey player, you know, when you were playing minor hockey and playing midget, or how, how good were you? I played a little bit of rep for one year, and then I went back and played uh, community hockey, so no, I was never, ever a high-level hockey player by any means. But a, lo- but a lot of guys and girls now would be in that boat, right? Where you play, and you're, you're pretty Most. good, but you're not quite good. But you got to find a way to stay involved with the game, right? That's the thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I, the level that I'm coaching now is not high-level hockey. I mean, it's just guys who are, still go out because they love to play the game. And they love to hang out with their buddies and compete and have a lot of fun. And that's what it's about. I mean, very, lots of people get wrapped up in the whole, my kid's going to be the next Wayne Gretzky and everything. And they sort of lose sight of what it's all about. And there's thousands of kids that are going to be out there this week just going out for the love of the game. That's what it's really about. That's what minor hockey week sort of brings back because the competition gets ramped up. It doesn't matter if you're playing in the lowest possible tier in your division or the highest possible tier. It's it's like the Stanley Cup final for these kids when it gets down to the end of it. And the competition just goes through the roof. It's awesome to watch. Well, that's that's what's so cool about Quick Card Edmonton Minor Hockey Week. And I, and I don't get to really take it in firsthand unfortunately uh when i was working at city tv several years ago i went out and did some stories and did some shooting and i yeah. got to go to one of those games that went to overtime and they oh. kept taking players off the ice isn't that incredible <laughs> <laughs> there's no sporting event i don't care if it's game seven of the world series if it's minor hockey week and they start pulling kids off the ice and you're down to three on three and then two on two and one on one i mean the drama is ridiculous it doesn't matter what level it is it's just intense no, do they do, do do they do that in the uh, in the round robin games as well, or do they? No, it's all elimination, right? Every game's it's an all, elimination game. You're guaranteed two games. You can lose your first game and you go to the B side of the pool, but if you lose your second game, you're out. Okay. But there are no ties, so each and every game could be your first game of the tournament. If it's a tie at the end of regulation, you start for five on five for a minute, and then it goes to four on four for a minute, and then down to three on three, two on two, down to one on one, and it just gets crazy. Uh, and and this is. I mean, this has nothing to do with league play or round-robin play or a season, right? Like, this is, nope. you could be having a terrible season, but you could still got a chance to win minor hockey week. You come in fresh, there's no seating, there's nothing like that. EMHA puts their schedule out at the beginning of the year and they block off these 10 days. The league stops, there's no practices, there's no games, everything stops and every single kid in EMHA goes into the minor hockey week tournament and everybody starts on the same page. There's no seating, there's no brackets, nothing. You just you head in, everybody plays their game, and if you win, you keep going, and if you lose, you're done. That's it. Yeah, I love that format, right? Because it's, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of like Hoosiers, you know, the little... Exactly, <laughs> anyway. I think if, if we were to win, I think we'd only have to win four games because there's only seven or eight teams in our division. So right. we only have to win four games. So you get on a bit of a roll, your goalie gets hot, who knows? I mean, it could be just throwing anybody. Shay Gannam joining us on Inside. And your, what time's your game tonight? 9.15 at the Meadows. Okay. Just packing up, going over the lineup, getting ready to go. You got the you got the prime time game on the ESPN, I think. So yeah, <laughs> These midget kids play so late. We're on the ice till 11 o'clock some night. Oh, my goodness. Shay Gannam from 6.30 Chad Mornings uh, joining us on Inside Sports. He's uh, rolling in as a coach here into Quick Card Edmonton Minor Hockey Week. I, I, I want to get, you know, to make it a little more serious here, 
Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't have a, I don't have any, any kids. So I, I don't really have any of that firsthand involvement in, in being a parent in any sort of minor sports. So I get a lot of, you know, takes and opinions from people yeah. that I, I do know. Sean Fitzgerald, the, the national sports writer wrote an awesome book that came out in October, um, called before the lights go out. And he wrote a lot about minor hockey and he, and he said, you know, we got to address some of these challenges in Canada with participation in hockey and making hockey a welcoming sport for low-income families, for immigrants, you know, new Canadians, all, all yep. these types of things. And, you know, you've experienced this as a, as a player when you were younger, now as a parent. Like, it's great to celebrate the sport, but it's also okay maybe sometimes to say some, some things are, are wrong with it. What's your experience as a, as a minor hockey parent, some things we got to be aware of? Yeah, I think it all depends. You know, I mean, I coach, uh, it's CIRA, which is the Southeast Edmonton Recreation Association. So we draw kids from basically from the river all the way south out to Ellerslie Drive, the Millwoods area and everything like that. So when you talk about minorities and stuff like that, we, uh, I mean, uh, half of the kids on my team, I bet you, I'm not looking at the numbers in front of me, but I'll bet you half of the kids on my team are not what you would consider whatever that Jess Allen said, white boys or whatever. They're not. They're, they're from all different, you know, um, makeups in terms of ethnicity and all that sort of stuff so i think that's really changed a lot i think when i think back to when i played 30 years ago it wasn't like that Mm -hmm. but certainly we're seeing a lot more minorities playing the game and it's pretty welcome that way the 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 whole financial part of it is definitely an issue it's not a cheap sport to play but i know with the association that i'm with there are parents that i coach who don't actually pay anything for registration because our association has ways you can work bingos, you can work 50-50 nights at the Oilers games, you can work registration nights, and you get vouchers for each one of these volunteer shifts that you do, and they can be applied to your registration. So I have a couple of parents on my team who don't pay anything for registration. So there are ways around it that way. It's still, it's it's, it's a big-time commitment. There is a cost to it. But I coach, like I say, it's not rep hockey. It's not the high-level hockey. And I know when you get into that, competitive high level development hockey the costs go up five six seven times what you're paying to play community league hockey so i think that's something else and then there's super leagues that come in as well and 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 the fees for that are a lot higher so i think for the high-end hockey it certainly is extremely expensive and a lot of these parents have to make a lot of huge sacrifices just to get these kids on these teams Um, but for rec hockey and community hockey like i coach and like i've been involved with all my life it's it's expensive it is but there are ways around it if you ask for you know different ways of doing it i'm not sure how the other associations work but i know with our association we definitely work with the players and their parents and we don't want any kid to not be able to play hockey so we'll try and find a way you know there's always kids that need a help helping hand to get involved and and sierra goes a long way to making sure that that happens and i'm sure most associations are the same way shay so with with the level of of kids you're coaching um, I mean, look, they want to win, and they know you got to have a yeah. have a have a structure. Are you are you big on uh, uh, systems play? Do you just try to give them some line combos and deep pairings that work? What kind of a coach are you? Yeah, basically that's all it is. We work. Uh, the only systems I ever ever practice are breakouts, just so they can get out of their own end. Other than that, it's coming up with line combinations and practices, or basically skill development and stuff like that. Just uh, and my whole goal is 
turn these kids into a team. It, it, you see it so many times. I've coached so many years now that when you have a group of guys that like being together, like playing together, like being at the rink and like being in the room together, your success goes up no matter what you teach them on the ice and no matter how you work with them and their skill level, all of that. If they're not a team, they don't have a chance. So my big thing is let's have some fun. Let's do some things outside of the rink. Let's go to some tournaments. Let's just try and build team. If you can do that, you're so far ahead. Plus it helps the kids you know, start to work one another and work as a group and stuff. And you're miles ahead if you can get that set up. So systems and stuff, no, not at this level. I just basically skill development and get out of your own end, guys. That's about it. Yeah, well, uh, there's some NHL teams that are pretty desperate to get out of their own end. Uh, get out of your own end, you're in big trouble. That's where it all falls apart, right? <laughs> and, and one more for you, and not just from you being involved in minor hockey week, but being in in the media we get to we get the privilege of talking to to these people as well the uh, the volunteer participation is pretty cool isn't it i can't imagine putting this together i can't remember how many teams but i know there's about 900 games they're going to take place in the next 10 games with about 8500 to 9000 kids and um, each team has to come together with scorekeepers and player checkers each kid has to play at least two shifts per period so every team has somebody in the stands that's keeping track of every kid that steps on the ice to make sure everybody gets to play um there's people selling buttons i mean the volunteer load that goes into making this thing happen it it must be thousands and thousands and thousands of hours to coordinate it all and they do it each and every year and i i wouldn't even want to dare to try and come up with just the ice times to organize 900 games over 10 days but they do it, and it goes off flawlessly each and every year. So hats off to them. Hats off to the officials. All the officials volunteer their time. They rep all these games for free over the next 10 days. It's part of their commitment as being an official. So it's all volunteers that make this happen, and, and it's the biggest hockey tournament in the world. Kids look forward to it every year. It's bigger than the city championships that we play in the spring. I don't know why, but for some reason, this is a bigger deal to the kids than the city championships will play at the end of the year. That's awesome. Shay, thanks for checking in right before your game prep here. Have an awesome one tonight, and I think I'm on your show Monday, so I want to get an update yeah. on how this went for you, too. All right, I'll let you know. That is Shay Gann. I'm checking in tonight. Coach of Sierra 497 Midget Team as uh, they get ready for a game tonight coming up 9:15. Quick Card Edmonton Minor Hockey Week is off and running today. Wraps up on uh, the 19th. We're going to go straight to our next guest who uh, uh, is also doing some incredibly important and hard work with young athletes and that is the founder and director of Free Footy Edmonton, our buddy Tim Adams. Tim, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm great. How are you, Reed? Good, good. From minor hockey reek uh, right into Free Footy. So we're, we're yeah, talking wow. about some, some great stuff uh, for young athletes uh, tonight. Just, just, and I know you've, you've been on our radio station and you've done a lot of media because you work really hard and you're from the media world yourself, but just to establish it, if this is new to people or remind them, give me the Coles notes on uh, Free Footy, uh, what it is and how you got it going. Yeah, so Free Footy has been around for 11 years now, and we're a free after-school club for the highest-needs kids from marginalized communities who otherwise wouldn't get a chance to play. And we started with about four teams and 40 kids, and now we have 120 teams and 4,000 kids. And we play five different sports. We used to just Jeez. do soccer, and we've really exploded over the last uh, decade. And the main focus of what we do really is, it's like what Shay was saying, it's like it, it's really just about the opportunity to be on a team because we all know the value of being on a team and having the opportunity to make a best friend and having that opportunity to meet a great mentor. 
And um, when you're uh, from a family in need, there, there's so many barriers that we often just don't think about when it comes to play. Um, we know that equipment is obviously a barrier. We know that registration fees are a barrier. But when those things get covered, the next major barrier is transportation. How do you get to the rink with your hockey bags full of stuff and your fees paid for if you don't have a car or mom and dad are working shift and you can't get to the game? So what we've done is designed a system where kids get picked up right after school on a bus. They get taken to the venue where coaches and refs are waiting for them to have their game. They have their full uniforms. They have all the equipment they need. They're on a team. They play their game. They do the little practice, which their practice also includes a lesson in social-emotional health. So just like the, you know, the basics of how to be a good friend, how to use good communication skills, the things that we teach in sports and we know that sport offers, but we don't sometimes do it very directly. So it's very direct in our practice plans. And then after that happens for the hour, they're bus back to their school where their parents can pick them up where they can walk home. And yeah, so we've uh, expanded a lot from kicking a ball around on a grassy pitch to now uh, shooting a hockey puck around and uh, shooting a basketball around and playing a little bit of rugby and playing a bit of flag football with the Eskimos when they're available too. It's, it's, it's really turned into its own um, community and institution in a way. It's amazing what you've done, and, and I'm always uh, so impressed whenever whenever I have you on. Now, uh, I'm, I'm glad we're, we're having you on because you reminded me I, I got to make this donation so I can make a small <laughs> contribution. Um, but and, and, hey, you know, there's there's a lot of organizations that need help, and uh, I'm not trying to yep. guilt anybody or anything, but, you know, if you got a young athlete or you've benefited from something like Free Footy or Sports Central in the past, you may want to look at this. Tell us about your fundraising drive. So we're going into spring with 120 teams, so it's nearly 2,000 kids who want to play. And every team costs us $1,000 to run, so do the math, 120 teams times 1,000. We're trying to fundraise $120,000 by the end of January. And why it's by the end of January is because it takes us that long to order 2,000 pieces of equipment to get them here in time for spring. So we have to have the money in the bank by January 31st. So we're pushing really hard to raise that $120,000. If you break it down a little bit further, the $1,000 covers 15 kids to play. That covers their transportation from the school to the game and back. It covers a full kit, so they get to wear a full uniform with a jersey, shorts, and socks. They get a ball. There's a referee there. They get a coach who's taking a coaching course. Um, so they have all the things that you need to play at 1000 bucks. So that works out to $67 per kid uh, for two months of play. And I would challenge anyone out there to... Um, you know, compete with that kind of rate. I think we keep it pretty lean and mean at $67 to get a kid playing for two months with a, a full kit and transportation to and from games. So we're pushing pretty hard to find sponsors who are willing to ship in the $1,000. That's one way to do it. And then we'll put your business logo on the front of the uniforms. Or what lots of people have started doing is crowdfunding. We have a unique little way through our website where you can launch a team and be a team captain. And then you send the link to 10 of your friends and kind of beg them to put in 100 bucks, and you make a team together, and then we'll make you a logo. And it can be anything. Like, we've, we've hit some crazy logos from the laser cats, where there's a cat with lasers shooting out of their eyes, to, um, you know, the jam donuts, where it's mini donuts, to the Jesper bots, where it's a little robot on the uniform, or more serious things, where people have honored family members who've passed away tragically or suddenly, or people they want to remember and they have a foundation. And we make them a little logo to remember someone who's been lost. So there's all kinds of unique twists and turns that you can take with this team sponsorship um, to get a team going. 
But if you have the means and you're able to even just chip in five bucks, that pays for a kid's pair of shin guards, or 18 bucks pays for a kit, or $44 pays for the bus rides for the season. So there's lots of different ways to, to get involved. And we're, I think we're $8,000 away from finishing our goal right now. 8000 bucks. So I've been pushing pretty hard to find those final numbers. If you can chip in five bucks, we would really appreciate it. I know there's a lot of great places to give your money to, and we've all gone through the the giving season, but if you've got five more dollars burning a, a hole in your pocket, we'd really appreciate it. Freefooty.ca, freefooty.ca slash donate. Tim, the one. You, 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 you keep doing such great work. Uh, man, I, I got so much respect for what you're doing and, and your proof that, you know, there are a lot of people who have worked in the media are, are pretty intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that, or we're good at sales, one or the other. But um, I think the the benefit of being in the media is you you just meet so many people, and so you get this different level. I always said it's the best job for someone who doesn't know what they want to do, because you get to try everybody's job, and you get to kind of walk in everybody's shoes just a little bit. So it, it develops that sense of sympathy and empathy. But you also see the other side of process of working in government, seeing government, how it operates, and kind of knowing where the gaps are. So um, my, you know, 12 years in journalism really gave me just a window into how people live. And I saw a big gap, and I thought I could do something about it. And I, I know there's a lot of people in Edmonton that care about doing something about it. It's the right city to start these kind of initiatives and programs. And hopefully one day we'll see something like Free Footy uh, across the country. That's my hope. Tim, well said. All the best with Free Footy. Of course, we'll be talking again. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for making time for us. Thank you so much for having me on. Take care. That is Tim Adams checking in. So, again, freefooty.ca. You can read all about it there. I know Tim outlined things, uh, everything very well, but if, if you're able to donate a little bit, they're so close to their fundraising goal. And like you said, you're helping thousands of kids. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Edmonton Oil Kings leading Saskatoon 1-0 after 2. The Oil Kings did not make a deal today prior to the WHL trade deadline. Looks like Arizona is going to fall in Carolina. 14 minutes left in the third. Hurricanes up 3-0 on the Coyotes. So the Coyotes will remain tied with Vegas for first in the Pacific. Just a point ahead of the Oilers and Flames. Battle of Alberta tomorrow on 6.30, Chad. 6.30 p.m. for the face-off show. Game will start at 8. Early in the third, Senators and Red Wings tied 2-2. And the Penguins and the Avalanche are scoreless about 15 minutes into the first period. Well... Really looking forward to our next segment here. He is a guy who uh, is legendary in the city of Edmonton at the University of Alberta and really in Canadian basketball, and that is former U of A Golden Bears basketball coach Don Horwood. Don, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Basketball. There it is. I was hoping for that. I remember hearing you say that on John Short's show. How old were you, Reed, too? Uh, when I heard you on the radio, no, I was probably 11 or 12. Oh, okay. <laughs> mid yeah, you're just, just a youngster. Now you've now you got Jesse going. Yeah. Oh, geez, my goodness. Now, Jesse. is he a basketball dog? Jesse's our dog. No, she's a chase anything that comes up the driveway dog. 
Those are the best kind, I think. Yeah, they are, exactly. They alert you to the uh, intruders. Uh, I'm going to have to close the door here because she doesn't like your voice. Oh, geez. Well, yeah, I'm sure she's not the only one, but people are bearing with me tonight because they want to hear you. You can use that as an excuse for all the people who are turning off their radios. (laughs) There we go. Their dog's barking that causes it. I got uh we got in a minute we got us we got somebody who on the line who wants to talk to you but I want to just get your perspective first Kevin Hansen last night the coach at UBC got a victory his 314th win in Canada West so he is now the winningest coach in the history of the Canada West Conference you had that title uh as you retired in 09 with 313 wins what I mean for somebody who had the record and now doesn't have it is there any context that you can give us? Does it even matter as to look back on your career, or how do you feel? Well, you know, I think most coaches probably don't ever think about those records. I mean, you're just trying to win one game at a time. I mean, I know it's cliche, and you're just trying to do the best you can for your program and for the kids you have in the program, and, you know, you're not, you're not counting any of those things. As a matter of fact, I had no idea that I had the most wins in Canada West until I think it was maybe five or six years ago. I don't remember, and uh, the Bakers would be able to correct me if they weren't down in Arizona. But I was checking online on the Canada West to see uh, Jordan Baker when he set the record and how much uh, he beat Greg DeVries, et cetera, et cetera. And I happened to look up coaching records and saw that I had the most, which surprised the heck out of me. Because I was hired at U of A in 1983, and Reed, it took me 10 years to get to 500. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize it took that long. 10 years to get that. Well, no, but I mean, I got hired in 83. Victoria when were in the midst of their seven-in-a-row run with all those national team players. One year we played Victoria seven times. So that's zero for seven. Where do you find seven other wins against Calgary, Lethbridge, Saskatoon, and, and UBC? in order to make up for those seven losses. I mean, it was pretty hard to get to 500 in those days. But anyway, aside from all that, uh, I'm happy for Kevin. I mean, he's had a great career at UBC. Records are made to be broken, except Wayne Gretzky's, of course, which I can't imagine will ever be broken, but they all seem to be at some point. But um, anyway, no, I I mean, I I was happy with what happened at U of A. I, I loved my job there. I loved the people I worked with. Loved the players, loved everything about Edmonton and the U of A. So everything else is gravy. Well, that's a good segue to bring in things you loved from the U of A. We have a young man named Bob checking in on the line from uh, Calgary. Bob, are you there? (laughs) Yes, typical of Bob. He didn't check in, he checked out. Yeah, he's not there, is he? See, I knew that. He can oh, stand me up. Oh, Don, Kellen, Don can't hear Bob. How do we How do we root this I can't through? hear Bob at all. Bob's not even talking to me. I knew Bob would stand me up. <laughs> I knew that. He's there, Don, but it won't come through. Yeah, story of my life. Okay, Kel, Kel, we can actually fix this. Uh, Bob, first of all, what's the score on the hockey game? Okay, we, ha- we have to get uh, Coach Horwood on the line in the studio. We- we've had to do this. Wait, wait. Don, can you hear Bob now? <laughs> uh, 
All right, Kellen, let's switch this back. Well, uh, Don likes sometimes a coaching plan. That didn't go oh, no, as don't planned. Tell me, Jason Kenny's cut the line. <laughs> That's right. Jason. Oh, geez. I knew you guys were having a hard time at, at, with uh, university sports, but that's what's happened now. He's cut the line. You're not going to be able to get us back on until somebody makes some kind of a decision there in the, in the government. To well, Bob wants to talk to you. We're going to, try, we're going to try to do this the old-fashioned way and, uh, and conference you guys. Okay. I think we finally might have this figured out. Bob and Don, you are on together. Don, we got about 35 years of post-secondary education between the two of us. Do you think they could have figured this thing out by now? What do you think? Hey, hey, Bob, I, you know what? I think the Russians are involved. It's got to be the Russians. Never trust I, I think, their, Yeah, never I think trust they're the sabotaging the equipment is what I think. Don, i got to say this. With all sincerity, I, you know, a good SID would have informed you all those years that you were the all-time winningest coach at Canada West basketball. But with all, and, and I mean this for our listeners out there, like you, know, you think of how dominant Victoria was when Don came here, and basically Victoria and UBC got all the best kids out of, uh, out of British Columbia. And British Columbia at that time was producing better high school players than any, anywhere else in the country. That's and right. There were more of them on the national team in those days than, well, now there's none from B.C., but they're, they're all from Ontario now. BC. But back, and what you accomplished, winning three national championships with a couple in the mid-'90s back-to-back, you almost won a third one there uh, right away, and then you won the third one in the early 2000s. I mean, uh, given the fact that you didn't always have the pick of the litter with the top-end kids, it's an incredible accomplishment. And so... Uh, you know, you elevated to that program, and John Short, you you really sold it as well. And I, you know, I remember you know the stories about Bill Hunter and, and what he did for the Oil Kings and then the Oilers and the uh, and the World Hockey Association. Yeah, uh, yeah. And you did that in basketball, Don. Well, I mean, I worked at it, Bob. You know what you know what it's like. You, you've been in sports long enough to know it's it, it doesn't come easy. You know, you're trying to carve out a little niche for yourself in a in a market that's the Eskimos and the Oilers and hockey and football, and it's not easy. And I know Terry Daniluk did that with volleyball. I mean, it's you know, it's a lot of hard work and people who are passionate about what they do and. Uh, you just do the best you can. And um, as, as I was saying to Reed earlier, I mean, when you're doing that stuff, when you're involved, you don't care about any of the legacy or what happened. You're just trying to, from day to day, I mean, you could talk to, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure, is it Ian Herbers who's the coach now of the Bears? I, I literally, look, we just flew in last night from Montreal after the game there. And, uh, you know, the, the Bears are playing Mount Royal. I just talked to Ian about 30 minutes uh, before the start of this game. They're just demolishing Mount Royal here. Mount Royal's got a pretty good club. And uh, Ian's all in, and Ian knows the legacy that Claire Drake left. And all the other coaches have followed in all the other sports, Don, not just in hockey, but in all the other sports at the U of A have kind of had to live up to the standard that Claire set. Yeah, of course they did. And, and, and it was a driving force because I know when I came there, I didn't, I mean, I wasn't annoyed at, at the publicity that the Bears hockey team got. They deserved what they got. What I wanted to do was to try to drive our basketball team into a, a situation where we got not equal, but at least we got fair coverage. And I think, you know, we, we were treated fairly by the media and the people in Edmonton and the University of Alberta and so on. But to get back to Ian Herbers, I'll give you a little-known story. Ian Herbers was in my basketball class in the summer in, in spring session, and the bloody guy was good. I said to him, Ian, I said, you know, I, I could use you. That was back in the early days when we didn't have a lot of really good players. And I said, I, we could use you. I mean, I didn't know he was that good a hockey player. I mean, you know, he's a big, big goofball-looking guy, you know. 
Don't tell him I said that, but no, no. Well, he, he found Ian, a way. Ian was great. He was a great kid, and he we we bonded pretty well in that basketball class. He probably even remembers it. I think he passed. I'll, I'll bring it up with him later on. I mean, he found a way to make it to the NHL as both a player and a coach after, Don. Yes, so yes he, I know that. I've he, climbed, he, climbed the, he climbed the pinnacle. So Now, you had so many great – I can read I, I know I'm hijacking your conversation. I'll get out of it after this. Hey, Bob, when have you never hijacked a conversation? <laughs> it, it often happens. I mean, you talk uh, to those parties at our house after those games, and you'd come over there and hijack the whole evening. <laughs> I find that hard to believe, Don. Yeah, of course you do. I remember your wife saying, Bob, we've got to go home. Yeah, yeah, just a minute, just a minute. <laughs> I'm not done lecturing these coaches. What was it? I mean, uh, the best part for you must must be knowing the fact that all that hard work you put in, it's true, you put in hard work, but at the end of the day, you had players that were good enough to overcome your coaching. Come yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if I'd had more players like that, I would have been, been even better. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right on that, Bob. Thank God for those players. Reed, this is your baby. Don, great talking with you. Uh, say hello to all your family for me, okay? Take care, Don. You appreciate it. It's always fun, and uh, give my best to Ian. <laughs> well, you take care. Bob okay. Stoffer, special guest bouncing on tonight as we have uh, Don Horbert on the show. Uh, used to be the winningest coach in Canada West Conference. Don, th- thanks for doing that with Bob. And I want to ask you a couple more. And I, I always love getting into this kind of stuff with you. So, you know, Kevin Hansen, who I think you coached against as a coach and as a player, but in Canada West, like it's for a lot of the time, it was a six or seven team conference. Like you mentioned, you're playing the same teams over and over. How much was it, what was a head to head for you against that other coach? You know what I mean? Like you're competitive and I know you want to leave it in the player's hands, but how much interpersonal rivalry was there between coaches? You know, I can't speak for other coaches. I can only speak for me. I never, ever felt that I was coaching against a coach. What we always try to do is figure out what the other team's strengths were and find out and try to decide how we could uh, organize our players and our defensive uh, uh, formations in order to counteract what they did best. It had really, it had nothing to do with the other coach. I never felt, oh, I'm coaching against Ken Shields or against uh, Gary Howard or against uh, Kevin Hansen or, or Bruce Enns, for that matter, before Kevin went to UBC. I never, ever felt that I was coaching against a coach. It was always coaching our team in, our, in order to try and defeat the other team. And, in fact, the coach really never even came into it, never even entered my mind what the coach or what the coach did or thought. It was only what the team did and how we could counteract that. How much did you, I mean, recruiting is, I mean, I I always say that university coaches, college coaches can win a lot of games in the summer with recruiting. True or false? How would you characterize that? Absolutely true. Absolutely true. I believe the higher... The higher up the ladder you go in coaching, for instance, you're coaching 10-year-olds, coaching is the difference. 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds, high school kids, university kids, and then at the pro level, every, uh, the higher you move up the ladder, the more important the players, less important the coach. But the coach does have a role. No matter what the level is, the coach still has a role. And I think even at the pro level, even though you've you got Connor McDavid and you've got Leon Dreisaitl and so on. But, I mean, look at all the coaches that 
Edmonton has run through in the last 12, 15 years. I mean, that can't all be the coach's fault. You know, there's just too many guys that were good in other areas and they came in and couldn't coach in Edmonton. The players had to be responsible for that somehow at some level. And, um, but the higher the level, the less influence the coach. I mean, look at LeBron James in the NBA. Right. Classic example. I mean, when he first moved back to Cleveland, they brought in this guy, David Blatt, who was a highly successful coach in Europe, and LeBron didn't like him. They won the NBA championship, but David Blatt was gone the next year because LeBron didn't like him. And so the players rule at the pro level. At the university level, the players rule in a different way. They don't rule, but... They are, they are responsible for your success or failure. Then at the high school level, the coach has more of an impact because he can influence the kids more. As they get older, you have less influence on them. Not, you don't have no influence. You have less influence. Don, final one for you. We got to do this more often because it's so it's so awesome to have you on the show and catch uh, up. Reed, I'm out around the coast and you forget about it. You think my brain's gone foggy and rainy, and so you forget about me out here. But I'm still well, alive and I'm still kicking. I'll come out and golf with you. Maybe we can do a show on the golf course. Actually, we golf today, but that's all right. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, the Raptors won the title. Yes. And just for you, as you know, like you were talking about with with Bob, and uh, and I said I remember hearing you go on with John Short. You always pushed basketball you promoted the sport you were always honest about your team to see so many canadians rally around a basketball team in toronto what did that mean to you well you know it was tremendously exciting and i'm not a huge nba fan i do enjoy the playoffs and i i'm not a fan of any one team but i did uh, become a supporter of the raptors I thought they brought huge excitement to the country and to basketball in Canada, and that's all good for the development of the game. And, well, we're seeing the results of it. I mean, I think Steve Nash was a big catalyst, and then then when the the Raptors and the Grizzlies came, that brought the NBA to Canada, and then you got a lot of kids who grew up with basketball, not necessarily with hockey and football. And so now you have all these kids who grew up with basketball now playing in the NBA. So... You know, basketball has grown in Canada. The interest has grown. The fan base has grown. And that's all good. I mean, that's not to take anything away from hockey, which is still the the number one sport in Canada, or football. But it's just nice to see there's other options for kids. Don, always a pleasure. I'll let you get back to your Friday night. Uh, enjoy. You're obviously still following U of A sports and uh, and the Oilers and Eskimos, judging by your comments in this conversation. So that's really cool. And keep in touch, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Reed, it's always a pleasure, and thank you very much. I appreciate, appreciate the call. That is Don Horwood, live on Inside Sports.
Well, that was a pleasure to have Don Horwood on the show. And, uh, you know, the, the reason we thought, oh, let's catch up with Don, was that Kevin Hansen at UBC passed Don's Canada West men's basketball wins record last night. UBC beat Trinity Western 109-102. But, of course, we got into a bunch of other things with Don there. For those of you uh, listening, thanks for bearing with us through the uh, the technical difficulties. We couldn't quite connect. He and Bob Stoffer for a second there. Bob used to be the uh, sports information director at the U of A for part of uh, while Don was uh, was coaching there. But I, Don Horwood is just to me, he's a larger than life figure. Uh, you know, I got to know him uh, a, a little bit. Um, oh, my God. 22 years ago, while I was going to Nate, I volunteered at CJSR. Thanks to Bob Stoffer, by the way, and uh, got to interview Don a few times. Just su- such incredible energy, incredible passion for basketball and sport in general. And the, I believe it was the last two years of Don's coaching career at the U of A, I did play-by-play for Bears and Pandas basketball. And we used to call the games from courtside. And we were at the end of the scorer's table nearest the home team's bench. And sometimes I found it hard to call the game because Don is very, shall we say, animated during a game, (laughs) whether it's uh, urging on his players, instructing his players, maybe giving the referees a little bit of advice on how the game should be called. and uh, he's uh, he's all he was always up. I, I used to ha- he had a little move I used to call the Horwood dance, where he would kind of kick his foot and spin around if he was frustrated at something. Uh, but it's great to have Don on the show, and and I appreciate a couple of texts coming in that they they enjoyed that interview because I certainly enjoyed talking to Don. And he's just he's just one of those guys that I, I think I, maybe you know people like this. Whatever Don did, he probably would have been successful because he's smart, he's energetic, and he's adaptable. And as he said, when he took over the U of A in 1983, they were losing to Victoria the, the entire season series, six, seven, eight games a year sometimes. So he had to figure a way, way to A, beat the other teams that were also losing to Victoria so you could at least be second or third and then figure out how to beat you know Victoria so you could finish first. And he did it like Bob referenced, uh, three national titles while Don was with the U of A, 313 wins and uh, one of the all-time greats for the University of Alberta. Absolutely. It was awesome to have him on the show. Okay. Here's what's going on. Quick look at the scoreboard. A minute left in Carolina. The Hurricanes lead the Coyotes 3-0. Great news for the Oilers. So Arizona will play their 47th game. They'll have 54 points. Vegas will have 54 points in 47 games. Both Edmonton and Calgary, 53 points in 46 games. 2-2 tie. Five minutes left between the Senators and the Red Wings. And the Avalanche are up 1-0 on the Penguins after the first period. Nathan McKinnon on the power play. It is his 26th seventh goal of the season oil kings leading saskatoon one nothing eight minutes into the third and uh, bob checked in there from uh, the game in calgary u of a leading mount royal 4-1 that one was in the first period when we heard from bob tomorrow gonna be a good one 6 30 face-off show the game is at eight oilers and flames edmonton 4-0-1 in their last five their last regulation loss was that big stinker they had on december 27th against the flames besides don horwood you heard from tim adams from free footy remember freefooty.ca to get more information information and they appreciate any, any donation you'll be able to make they're uh, what eight thousand dollars away from their fundraising goal shay ganham from 6 30 chet mornings and former nhler 
Theo Fleury checked in too. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell, our studio producer this evening, the one and only Kellen Kennedy. My name is Reed Wilkins. I'll talk to you at 6.30 tomorrow for the face-off show. Have a great night. Stay warm. So if you want to join me for a while, just grab your hat, we'll travel like that's hopeful style. Maybe tomorrow I'll want to settle down. Until tomorrow I'll just keep moving on. It's Friday. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.